welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia, the official podcast partner for the 2023 Modern Manufacturing Expo. Join your hosts Shane Williams and Port Mason as they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. Steve Jobs, the visionary co-founder of Apple once said, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. In the field of manufacturing and design, embracing innovation and the right tools can be the difference between standard products and exceptional creations. You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia, the essential podcast for keeping pace with the latest in manufacturing technologies, in association with the 2023 Modern Manufacturing Expo and Smart Manufacturing Conference. Joining us today is Gabriel Devilla from Central Innovation. As a mechatronics, robotics and automation engineer, Gabriel has extensive knowledge in aiding manufacturing businesses to harness 3D computer-aided design to craft superior products. We discuss design and collaboration tools and how manufacturers can use these to standardize, simplify and reuse design elements. Highlight examples of how top designers and manufacturers have streamlined their processes, diving into PLM, PDM and configuration tools. The challenges in selecting the wrong tools or misusing them, along with examples of how poor design practices can lead to major failures. And practical advice on how Aussie manufacturers can streamline their design and manufacturing process and collaborate more effectively using the right tools. We trust you'll enjoy the interview. So Gabrielle, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Tech Australia. Thanks for having me. Let's jump straight in. So I'm really interested around what Central Innovation's been doing, helping Aussie innovators and, and designers to put together complex products for many years. I'm hoping you perhaps could give us a bit of an overview of the current landscape in design and collaboration tools and you know, what kind of opportunity that presents for manufacturers to standardize, reuse and simplify elements and make better products. Yeah, no worries. It's a, it's a good question. We have been enabling designers and manufacturers over the last 20 years. I personally have been in the industry for 12, so we like to make sure that we have good people looking after our customers. But where it comes from, where we try and help is uh, the technology that we offer. So all about the design solutions. Because we've been doing it for so long, we've seen the gap from the manufacturing processes to the design process really narrow. So we didn't have 3D printers back 20 years ago. What we did wasn't very good. But what that means to us is that we can leverage the design package a lot more. We can design more complex products and still be able to manufacture them. We were very limited in the manufacturing process before. So what we're able to do is provide these software that people can actually design more accurate products, products they weren't able to do before. So Gabrielle, I was going to ask you about the collaboration tools specifically, because that's really the, the stuff in the cloud these days is really enabling businesses to work closer together and, and stop some of those mistakes that they make by having things in silos and bringing everything together. So could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. Uh, the biggest problem that we find uh, in this industry is the amount of data that gets produced. The data is the IP of every customer. It's just where all of their knowledge, their investment and their money is. And they really need to find a way to use that properly, leverage the tools that we have and so there are a lot of collaboration tools available across the world across the industry the ones that we primarily focus on are either server-based locally based or cloud-based so we have the ability to make sure that you have what you need the most important thing is making sure that the team the collaborative team have access to it um, and then you're able to share that with your suppliers because the last thing that you want to do is have lots of different tools. For example, emailing a customer, sending them the design. As soon as you take out the design, a PDF out of your little environment, it goes out of date. You can't track it anymore. It becomes a manual process. What we're trying to do is standardize it all, make sure you have one tool that you can then share a link and then they come back to you and then reply to that. So that's what we're trying to do, making sure that there's collaborative tools that keep everything in one 
location. The collaborative tool is one aspect of it. It's the actual uh, version control, the revision control, the actual lifecycle management. So how do you know when your file is ready to be manufactured? How do you know if it's being currently approved? So we're trying to make sure that we have these capabilities but not only the software, it's making sure that you have the support. As always, make sure that you contact the right people, industry experienced people that know what they're doing, that have done it for a while, and that's how you're going to get the best results. Absolutely. And you're spot on there with the revision control stuff as well. I've seen 20 years ago, we used to control it by just up-revving the revision and storing it in a separate server or a different location, and that would be like the production part. But now it's so much easier to stop all that accidentally making the wrong products and reworking things. Yeah, it makes life so much easier. And that kind of leads me into what I want to also ask about one of my favorite tools is product configurators because like you were mentioning before about standardization it really helps to give the customer like set those choices that the customer can have help settle those different variations and things like that and then it also streamlines that uh, whole service from the sales through to design through to manufacture um, by having this streamlined configurator process and tool that sort of brings it all together mm-hmm. so maybe could you give our listeners a bit more of an understanding about that what we're trying to do is uh, improve efficiencies for a lot of customers. Uh, So that's one really good aspect of it. The way we position that is if you're designing the same thing, but different. So what I mean by that is we have furniture or truck bodies or like utes. It's the same style. It's just the difference is how big is it? How long is it? How many tires does it have? How many shelves does it have? So what we use is what we've tried to do is align ourselves with partners that have these capabilities. In this particular case, it's a partner called DriveWorks. It integrates into SolidWorks. And what we can do with this is that we have a master model, we have a master design with different variations. And so if we stick to the bookshelf example, it's length, width, height, number of shelves, doors, no doors. And what we do is we have a little interface and it can even be online so we can give the link directly to the customer. So the end customer can give it to their customer and then they can punch in a bunch of numbers and they can actually see a 3D model within the browser. What we're trying to do is let the customer help themselves so that you can actually get a quote, you can get a price, you can get all the information that you need straight away. This way, we don't need a CAD designer to go in there and make the parts. It's already been done. We're leveraging all of that information. Absolutely. And making life easier for the customer as well. If they can jump online, design up what they want, get that quote out the other end and save so much work in the process. Definitely. While we're nerding it up a bit, mm-hmm. Gabriel, I wanted to also ask you about product lifecycle management tools and PDM and things like that without going into too much detail. But pulling that together, you mentioned it briefly before. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about how that can help? make work a little bit easier for manufacturing businesses? Yeah, look, Lifecycle PDM, uh, it's probably a, a bigger conversation in and of itself because one is product data management, the other one is lifecycle management. So really, we'd need to get down to the nitty gritty. We're not doing that today. But really, the, the core of both of these that we're trying to offer is making sure that you have the right part when you're manufacturing it. That's always the problem. One of the biggest mistakes that I always see is that the revision is not clearly identified in the part you mentioned before that you used to use in Excel or something like that. The problem is most of our customers use what they call shared drives in Windows. There's a drive on the server or like a OneDrive, and then they actually manually add revision one, revision two to the end of the file name. And a lot of the times they don't even do that. So what happens is they're looking for an example, a bolt. You look for a bolt inside your shared drive, you're gonna find hundreds of bolts. Which one is the right file? So the problem is, and we've had this problem a number of times, is they're ordering the wrong parts and they don't get one or two bolts. You get thousands of bolts at one time and they've ordered the wrong thing because they didn't have the ability to say, this is the right bolt, this is the 
improve Bolton, and this is the latest revision. So that's the issue that we have, and that's what we're trying to make sure that we understand that it's standardized across the business. It's very costly when you do something like that. I think that's an interesting segue, Gabriel, into where I was really going to take you next was like, what are some of the things customers do in terms of mistakes made or lessons they could learn? And, and I'm thinking that's a classic example, right? I'm ordering the wrong parts and that's got a genuine financial implication. But I imagine there's other things like just having the wrong tools or failing to capitalize on the tools that you've got at your disposal. What are, what are some other things that you see manufacturing businesses do that maybe you think we could learn from those lessons and share with the audience? Yeah, definitely. One sort of topic that I always use uh, when I discuss this is the cost of doing nothing, right? That that can be one of two things. It can be expensive because it didn't work or it can be really good because it helped you improve your efficiencies. Now, what I mean by that is current process. Customers say, look, we've been doing this for a long time. It's working fine. We don't need anything else. But the way I see it, for example, is a validation tool. So we have FEA capabilities, uh, topology optimization. I can explain that if anyone wants to afterwards. But what I mean by that is customers have designed the same Part. So for example, a, a car racing team, they're designing a part that they use all the time. But the problem is that this part is too heavy. It's all about weight in, in car racing. We need to reduce the weight of the product. And so what we need to do is try and use some of the right tools to reduce the weight. But the cost of doing nothing is we've been doing this for a long time. My job, <laughs> what I'm trying to help with is what happens if we change? What happens if I introduce this simulation tool or this validation tool that can help you reduce the weight, that can help us change the material? So reducing the weight means the car goes faster. Changing the material means that it costs less. You might be using some really unique titanium. Really, we could be using aluminium, for example. So that's the kind of tools, the mistakes that happen all the time, the cost of doing nothing. And definitely not training your staff with the tools that you have. I think that's a really valuable lesson in general. You've invested a lot of money in the tools that you currently have. We should be leveraging that to the maximum. Whatever the tool may be, make sure that the staff is trained so that they can use it to the full extent. I think most businesses out there, Gabrielle, are probably not leveraging the tools that they have already to the maximum benefit too. So mm -hmm. that's a good point. I have to cycle back to, you mentioned earlier 3D printing. So I'm just curious, can you give our listeners a bit of a, an overview of how these design tools in a modern context, how that works with 3D printing and how that can help people easily prototype and things like that. Yeah, of course. 20 years ago, 3D printers weren't, maybe they existed, but they're really as good as they are now. But what that means to us is when we design, we always design for manufacturer. So what's the process that's being manufactured? How is the part being manufactured at the end of the day? CNC, 3D printing, EDM, whatever the process may be. But because we're doing 3D printing, we're not limited by the same standard process that we have. So that means we can actually get some really cool shapes, some real uh, overlapping shapes on top of each other. So what that means is that when we are actually designing those parts to reduce the weight, a lot of the internal parts of that material is not required. So when we're doing that validation, when we're doing this topology optimization, it's called generative design, which means that we start off with a block and we start off with a load and we start off with a fixture. Most of this block is not required. So the first thing it does is it cuts them off. The second thing it does is that it hollows it out and then it starts removing a lot more of those finite, smaller sections that it doesn't need. And all of a sudden you've got this really weird web of a part that you could never manufacture before, but you can do it now. And we've got really cool technologies that it can be either the normal ABS, PLA, or we can go all the way up to like carbon fiber printing, metal printing. Gabriel, I think it's really interesting that we've got this capability in terms of additive manufacturing now. And so the tools are now adapted to do exactly what you're talking about, right? I just wonder whether when you move from prototype or let's call it small batch production into larger production, 
Is there a process to reverse that so that you can actually put it into a traditional manufacturing process? There isn't a standard process, no silver bullet for this kind of stuff, because when you're doing these really intricate design, those like ended up looking like webs, they aren't made for long term, for large scale processing, because you still need to use the conventional manufacturing methods because it's cheaper. The offset of this is that if you're doing 3D printing, it's slower, small batches, and it's more expensive, right? On the other hand, if you're using a lot more of the conventional, and I don't mean milling or anything like stamping, for example, like drawing, like sheet metal fabrication, these types of conventional processes, we've been doing it for a long time. So we really perfected how quickly we can do it and how cheaply we can do it. So you're absolutely right. You got to make sure that you understand if you are going to be doing that uh, design validation, you're still doing the design for manufacturer. So if you're looking at doing a large scale, you need to make sure you take that into account so that you don't get a too complicated web. You get more standard shapes that can easily be manufactured with conventional processes. So yeah, really good point. Gabrielle, I'm glad we had this chat today because often businesses are looking at how to optimize in the factory, in the front office and things like that, but they often overlook optimizing the design side and trying to make that work a little bit easier. I wonder, have you got any sort of practical tips that you can give Aussie businesses out there, designers and manufacturers that can leverage some of these tools to make their job a little bit easier, streamline things and I guess overall work a bit more efficiently? I can't stress enough of how important training is for staff. Every tool that was made had a lot of R&D into it. So you're probably not using it to its full extent. Trying new things, for example, um, staying on the same version that you all, that you currently have right now. R&D for each of these companies, like SolarWorks spends millions of dollars in R&D every year. A big portion of their profit goes to R&D. So they listen to the customers, listen to their feedback, improve the software, and it's sitting there year after year not being used. So we really should be improving all those efficiencies just by testing what the new version could be doing. I think in general, it's trying new software as well for that old cost of doing nothing. It's the, we've been doing the same thing over and over again, and it's working fine. And I don't mean investing money. In a, for example, there's something called SolidWorks Maker, right? SolidWorks Maker is the hobbyist version of SolidWorks. And not a lot of people know about this. I love talking about this because I'm an engineer myself. I pay for it with my own money to get SolarWorks Maker because I use it at home. So I love this new technology and I like to make sure that people are using it. Find the hobbyist versions. There's lots of different other CAD platforms that have hobbyist versions, free versions. We should be using that, seeing if we can apply any of these because we can always improve our current processes. Absolutely. And I think the game's changed so much in the last few years. Kids at home in high school and even primary school are jumping on software like that. They're jumping on Fusion 360 and other systems and having to play with it, printing stuff out. Some guys have even got home 3D printers and they definitely have them in the schools now. So that stuff that we were doing at university 25 years ago is now being done in primary schools and high schools. So it's really interesting stuff and it's really supporting engineering and science and, and those kind of roles for the future having all these tools at our disposal and so much easier to use and available to everyone. I think it's great for the future of manufacturing here. Yeah, definitely. I think they've really commoditized the 3D CAD, which I think is great. I think that means it become accessible to a lot of people, like you said, to schools, uh, universities, hobbyists, having that commoditization, that means we can focus on something else to keep improving that process and it's available forever. And so it's only going to get better for sure. So Gabriel, we're up on time, mate, but this has been honestly, because this is Paul's wheelhouse, I've learned a hell of a lot from it and I imagine people listening are in the same boat. So I appreciate you coming to spend some time with us on the show and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for the invite, Shane and Paul, and we'll be at the Modern Manufacturing event in September. So looking forward to seeing you guys there, looking forward to seeing a lot of the customers there come and say hello. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri peoples. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. 
Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology, only on Manufacturing Tech Australia.